Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Make Talk Star Wars. I'm your host, Lee. Yet again, no Spencer. I am joined by my co-host, Jamie. Jamie, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I am doing lovely. We are back to talking indoor, as promised. Podcast professionals that we are, we said we would talk the first six episodes. Did that. That we would finish up the last six episodes, and we would talk about that. That's what we're doing today. We're going to talk about the last six episodes of Andor Season 1, and then give our sort of concluding thoughts about Season 1 as it goes uh, into Season 2, what we thought about the series, where it fits in with the other Star Wars content that we've seen. And uh, then we'll go into probably an episode-by-episode breakdown of the last six episodes, starting with Episode 7 announcement, going all the way through Episode 12, Rick's Road. Uh, and then we'll kind of, I think, the, the idea, we'll do kind of what we did last episode, Jamie, where we'll talk about how this fits in with other Star Wars content, specifically some of the recent stuff we've seen, the television shows, yeah. because that is really where, like, I, that is really what I find the most interesting, because they, they, they took the biggest risk, I think, with this show of anything that they have done on the TV side, and, from my opinion, and I like to, I like to hear where people think that fits in. So, so I, that's, I, I, what, that's what we'll do I, with the episode. I do want to hear as I do want to hear your sort of thoughts about the last general thoughts about the last six episodes of the season. Well, I thought I I think I have a good answer for you on where it fits in with the other. Uh, sure. Yeah. Let's things. start with that. Uh, well, it's it's after episode three and before episode four. Ah, easy peasy. There we go. All right. Well, anyway, this has been Magnum Talk Star Wars. We'll be back <laughs> with you. <laughs> uh, all right. Sorry. Go. Let's continue with the real stuff. Just as soon as you said uh, ordered it that way, I, I, I had to save that comment. Well, I would like to know what you thought about the last six episodes of Andor. Did you did you like it? Like it as much? Did you think the series build? Did it, did it do better the last six episodes? What did you think? So I find it actually a little hard to paint it in a broad brush. Um, I almost, in my head, doesn't work out for our show, want to break it into thirds instead of halves. Sure. I think the first third – was excellent, and I think the last third was excellent, and I feel like the middle dragged a bit. Um, the prison stuff, yeah, the 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 getting into the prison stuff. I I did actually like the prison break, you know, spoiler, but um, yeah, who doesn't? It was interesting, but it felt like every episode. It felt like there were about two episodes in a row that were like twice as long as they needed to be, um, and I I I don't like when people complain about filler. Or something like that, because there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, shows do well when they have filler episodes or when they have just backstory building or anything like that. So I'm not opposed that it just could have been faster, so it should have been faster. But if something could be faster without losing anything, that means you needed to put more stuff in it or make it shorter. It it dragged a little bit, um, kind of in the middle, I thought. Um, But... I did still like it, uh, and I do think that it finished strong. I continue to like it. I still think the highlight might be what was episode three or four or something, his initial escape. Um, I think that might still just be my favorite. It was just really neat and well done on a whole new world kind of thing. Um, but, you know, the ending was also excellent and strong. So I I have high opinions. Yeah, I think you're breaking into the – if, if you say anything bad about this on the internet, they 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 kick you off the internet. Actually, you're not allowed to be there if you didn't like Andor. Yeah, I know, man. Our guy Star Wars Theory, who's probably one of the most popular YouTube Star Wars people, he got in a lot of trouble talking about you know, how he didn't like Andor. I think that type of stuff is really stupid and counterproductive. I mean, if people like it, great. If they don't, they don't. I mean, you know, it, it was very different than a lot of the other Star Wars stuff. I didn't expect everybody to like it. I liked it a lot. I thought the back half of the season. I like actually. I liked the way you break it. I think. 
narratively, it probably was broken into thirds. I think that's probably a correct sort of assessment about how they, they wrote it. But I thought the last half of this season was phenomenal. I mean, yeah. I am a sucker for what they did in that episode 10, One Way Out, where it was a prison break. I was, I was literally at the gym watching it, cheering with both arms, like cheering in the air as I watched it as they were running through the halls, chanting One Way Out. We got to Rick's Road, and we got um, uh, Marva's big projection, and she says, fight the Empire, and it all hell breaks loose. I mean, I, I, I literally got chills. Like, it, it really did a lot to build to those moments, and they really paid off for me. It might make more sense, you know, if you really wanted to break it down, and it, it wouldn't be the exact same because it would, um, in, into quarters almost. Because that's – if I try to break it into thirds, well, then the middle third has – them robbing the place right in the middle. Like the before they robbed and after they robbed are pretty different also. So that is good to break also. I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, I, I certainly liked the back half of the season. What did you think of Andor in general? I mean, were you, did you think this, the show succeeded? Are you happy for, are excited for season two? Or I, I am. Uh, I still have, and this is almost the closest I'm going to get to criticism. I still liked Mandalorian, or at least Mandalorian season one and Obi-Wan better. And that ju- I think that shows my preference more than an actual commentary on it. But I, I do. Uh, as far as, you know, it, it's very close behind those two for me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really, I mean, you remember, I, a big fanboy of Mandalorian season one. I was blown away by that and will always be. Um, this was excellent. Uh, it paired up very well or will pair up when they get closer to Rogue One. If it ended right now. I'd actually still feel like that's fine. Like, I want more, but if they didn't have a season two, I would accept this as a piece of art, as part of the storyline, as part of the character building. And, you know, you jump into Rogue One and stuff's happened in the background and you don't need to be there for all of it. But it's great. It's fine. I would have accepted that as excellent storytelling anyway. Um, I really did like the prison break. I really did like the ending. Uh, pretty much everything about it. I liked that a lot of the thoughts kind of through all of Andor. If I had a thought, if I had something that I was worried about, if I had something that I thought they were doing that was dumb, give it 30 minutes and somebody on screen is going to have the same thought or comment that the thing is dumb or take care of that problem. After the prison break, I was thinking, what if they're the only two? Ten minutes later, he says, what if we're the only two? I'm like, I actually appreciate this. This is not redundant. This is payoff for what you've built and reasonable people having the reasonable thoughts that they would have in the situation. So even if they don't answer it, the fact that the people on screen are asking the normal questions, even when there's no answer, makes it a lot more realistic. I I feel like, in some ways, Andor is the most mature of all Star Wars content. Not that it's you know made for adults, but it's okay having questions that just don't have an answer, and the answer is, shrug, we're moving on. Because sometimes life doesn't have all of its loose ends tied up neatly. Sometimes you don't know if other people escaped or not. And that just has to be okay, that you'll never know if other people escaped or not. And they're yeah. okay with it. It's, it's a little mature where, you know, it doesn't always have to loop into itself. It's giving a lot of credit to the audience and making it just realistic, leaning into what I've always said before. Star Wars is great because it's bigger than what you see on screen. They've made a world where it feels like there is something over that hill. There is something on that planet. That ship actually is going somewhere and has a manifest and a captain that ran one in the background. 
Yeah, those other guys, they either got captured or killed or they're out free and they're doing something and will this isn't their story. Yeah, I, I agree with the, the idea that it's more mature. I mean it is made more for adults, but I know I know you're not using that that term to mean that, although it also is made right. more for adults. But it, it it I think that there's certain things that they went for realism in a way that Star Wars maybe never has. For instance, um when um Bix uh, gets tortured, right? She's not okay at the no. end of that. She doesn't just take the headset off. There's no like, rescue, and she just starts running again like normal. She's kind of broken for now, and yeah. that's a that's a realism element that I'm not sure they ever really have institu- uh, uh, really instituted in Star Wars content before. Also, like the fact that this, you know, dur- when at the end when they do sort of the big fight the Empire scene and there's riots and stuff. A lot of people die. It doesn't necessarily – they don't take the planet yeah. over, right? right? Like it's just a sort of like one punch in a boxing round and then you get knocked down by the, the guy who's bigger than you. Like they didn't they didn't take the planet over. They didn't destroy some big important part of the empire like the Death Star or something. They yeah. just fought in the way that they could and kind of lost. I mean like if you look at like that planet, they're going to lose that that immediate fight. They may not lose the war, but they're going to lose that immediate fight with the Empire. So I love that realism element that they added. Well, I, I mean just speaking just that fight, that you're absolutely right. It's like I'm going to get a punch in and then I'm going to get down. Yeah. And the only way that I'm going to have a hope of winning is either if my goal isn't to win, my goal is to – you know, throwing the punch was the goal, like standing up, saying something, making a statement. Or if you have numbers, because if you have a line of a million people and everybody gets one punch in, you've won the fight. Like that's enough punches. So I, yeah. I don't really know how many numbers. It, they did seem to have a little bit of the magical. There are as many people here as there need to be. Um, and sure. maybe that's just I, I fully accepted it, though. I noticed it and it started to bother me. But I realized I might be wrong. Actually, that's kind of the nature of what a riot would be, where I don't know how many people there are here. And there's more or less than I think at any given moment. And there's a quiet area right over there where it's just a guy sitting because we're right next to houses. And there was a lot of people and they were maybe there the whole time. And I just didn't know it. Um, So they maybe didn't play fast and loose. Maybe that's just them being realistic of what it's like in a mob. I don't know. Yeah. And like. Another thing I really liked about this show is that, like, obviously it's about Cassie and Andor. It's named Andor. I oh, love it. I love Cassie. Oh, that's that's clever. I love Cand. I love I love Cassian. He's a great character. I I, I have no complaints with Ka- the the, ish, the character of Cassian. However, he's not the most interesting character to me. The most interesting. I mean, we we of course we picked up the character uh, Kino Loya, which just won the day he was super fascinating but he was only in a couple episodes but like season wide i found the character of luthan and i found mon mothma and even maybe vel or uh cyril who's the the imperial officer who got fired i find and, and maybe even um uh deidre Mero, who's the isb the woman isb officer who ends up mm-hmm. on on the planet at the end I find all of those characters maybe more fascinating than Cassie and Andor, but I don't have complaints about Andor. But so that that that's really a mark of a good show. When you have a show that is the story of a person, however, I'm more fascinated on an episode by episode basis with all of these other characters that they continue to develop in a really rich, deep way. Yeah. So I agree completely. Somebody said the first time, which is true here also. 
when you have a book or a TV show that follows a lots of separate storylines and separate people, a lot of the time you find yourself, you know, oh, oh gosh, we're going back to Perrin in the snow. I don't want to read about that guy in the snow anymore. That's I, I never felt like that. There was never a time when they cut mm-hmm. anybody and I groaned or rolled my eyes or was waiting for that scene to be over. A little bit, I, I say that, and it's true. I got a little bored sometimes with the stuff around Mon Martha, but she was good enough that it was that I carried in was fine, and they didn't overdo it. It, it served a real purpose, and I was okay with it. Um, yeah, Vel, Vel's romantic situation was always just a little frustrating because it seemed like one note, and like they probably could have gotten past this part of not others where they're at. That part I kind of... That's the least interesting part to me. The most interesting part about her was her interaction with Mon Mothma and her sort of reminding Mon, we took a fucking vow. Like, I'm in the... I don't care. I don't care about, like, my life. I don't care about my job. I don't care about anything. I, I am a cog in this wheel to fight the Empire. And, like... I feel like she served a really great purpose for Mon Mothma because that's that's when I think Mon made the choice. You know what? I, do, I I'm gonna have to, in essence, do this thing. I re- like morally, ethically, really don't want to do, which is marry off my daughter to continue to be able to move money around in the way that I need to to support the Empire. I think that was the turning point for her character. So that's why I found Velm really interesting. I'm with you. I didn't find the romantic yeah. part all that all that compelling. Yeah. Like I, I was very fine with it. It just it always dragged. It was kind of one note. They kind of just repeated themselves, I felt like. And I do feel like, you know, it, it was implied that they'd been together for a while. I feel like they kind of would have dealt with this a little bit already. And I don't know. It was, it was more attention paid to it than payoff. But that's the only thing that I felt like that. And I still actually found both of the characters interesting. So it was fine. They just, you know, kind of focused a little bit off. I... Did but that ab- Rebel, before, before you make that point, that, but, but that, like, that, this is... That whole sequence was very reminiscent of Rogue One, how that sort of morale building for the Empire and for the ultimate sacrifice you may or may not have to make in fighting it, sort of the ship sort of rolled downhill, right? It started with Cinta, who basically reminded Vel, like, yeah, I love you. I'm, I'm with you. But, like, the most important thing is this is this fight. And then Vel then reminded Mon Mothma, and then the consequences with that are literally galactic, right? Because she now she's moving money around to be able to support the Empire at a galactic level. Yeah, and – so I feel like we're jumping around maybe too much, but I do want to say, because you were talking about you, we took a vow and everything. Well, we're, we're doing like sort of summary thoughts to start yeah. with and go into the individual plot. I loved my, my favorite scene from the, maybe entire show was the scene um, outside the broken elevator when he was. Yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah. That was phenomenal. Well, what if I sacrificed everything? Yeah. Well, and because, because I, I really was not expecting much out of that because, you know, what did he sacrifice? And he's like, peace of mind. And I'm like, that's – I mean, yes, that's the accurate thing. You sacrifice peace of mind. You're you're very stressed, buddy. Yeah, it's very – you're anxious a lot. Big sacrifice. And then he goes into, like, what that really means. And Yeah, it floors you. Yeah. I, I loved the delivery. I loved the writing. I loved the interaction. I loved the reaction from the other guy because everything he says – can be kind of summed up by, um, you know, peace of mind and security. You could summarize it by that if you wanted to, but it would, you do such a disservice to what that means. And they actually lay out what those words mean in this context. And it's stag, literally staggering to hear it described that way and knowing that it's entirely accurate. 
Yeah, um, I agree. That was probably well, that was a, that was a real apex for the for the show. So let, you want to jump into maybe uh, episode recap? Start with episode, that. episode seven. Yeah, cool. All right, so we start with episode seven. This is titled announcement. This is right after the I, right? So this is right after the heist episode is where we pick up on Coruscant. Uh, Karn starts a new job at the Bureau of Standards. I love the Bureau of Standards. That's such yeah. a that's such an empire thing. The Bureau of Standards. It's almost like uh, remember uh, Harry Potter that uh, the lady who was in pink. I don't know if you remember her, but she just kind of came into the Hogwarts school and her whole purpose was to be like, nope, everything is super rigid and we are going to like just do everything by the book. That's what it reminded me of. Colonel Ularen uh, announces that the ISB is gaining more surveillance and punitive authority uh, while Miro is challenged by Belvin for breaking protocol by accessing Imperial data without authorization. Um, I don't know if you remember that scene, but she kind of gets called to the carpet. And it, it's interesting because... Ultimately, uh, what's his name? Let me make sure I have the character's name right. Uh, Major Partagas ends up siding with Deidre on this issue and kind of gives that guy's work to her, which I, is a big win for Deidre here in this episode. Yeah. Um, Luthen's assistant, uh, which is the lady who works with him in the museum shop or the antique shop, right, instructs Vel to find and kill Cassian as he knows Luthen's identity. So that's that, you know, the concept that there's a loose end from the heist, right? Is that it's Cassian and he's just sort of out there somewhere. And weirdly enough, Luthen's assistant, I don't think we ever really hear that Luthen is on board with this, but Luthen's assistant wants Cassian dead. Mon Mothma meets with an old friend and banker named Tay Colma. Um, he is not the guy that she ends up marrying her daughter to. This is the other right. guy, right? Yep. That she meets with at the party and ask him to help help her uh, access some of her family funds. So we were going back and forth about this in the previous episode, that really what she's trying to do, she, this, it gets spelled out here in this episode. What she's trying to do is to be able to touch and move her family funds without a lot of A, restriction, or B, scrutiny about where it's going. That's what she's trying to be able to do. Cassian returns to Ferrix um, and learns that people blame him for the corporate security crackdown. He is not, he did not get the hero's welcome back at Ferrix that he anticipated. The imperial presence on Ferrix reminds Cassian of how his adoptive father, Marva's husband, was murdered by clone troopers years ago. So we get that sort of uh, flashback. Cassian attempts to get Marva to flee Ferrix. She's not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm seeing right here. I'm old. I don't feel like it. I got, I got my favorite droid, the best droid possibly in the entire Star Wars saga, who's the fucking man, and I'm not going anywhere, and I'm going to fight the Empire my way. Cassian travels alone to a very touristy place, which I had to look up the name of. It's called Niamos, and I'm not sure, he, I'm not even sure we got that name in the episode. And at the end of the episode, he literally just gets accosted by a stormtrooper for, like, fucking nothing. Like, it is, he does absolutely nothing that I can tell, and gets sentenced to six years imprisonment at the end of the episode. Bam, that's the recap of episode seven. Yeah, so here's my least favorite part of this episode is actually Marva not leaving. Like, she's tough and whatever, but what is she doing there that she can't do somewhere else? I, the idea of this is my home, well, it wasn't always your home. Like, this wasn't like your ancestors' place. You've been here a long time. You're president of, like, the Rotary Club or ex-president. Wait a second. It's it's more important than the Rotary Club. We learned that Uh, later. But I I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, you're, yeah, uh, ex-president of city council, sure. Fight the empire, anonymous. But, but what, is, what, is, what is it that she really thinks she can do there that she can't do somewhere else and that she can't help and or as he goes somewhere else or 
you know, that she might be used against him when they know where they are, if she's really that savvy. And then in a couple of their episodes, you know, it, it's clear that she's fighting, but she's fighting by like sitting outside and staring at them. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's, it's hilarious. But she's a figurehead at this point. I mean, she's right. her. but that reaction that you're having is the reaction you're supposed to have. Like, have you ever tried, have you ever tried to get an old person to do something they didn't want to do? It doesn't fuck like it's so difficult. I've been trying to get my mother to move forever. She lives out in bumfuck nowhere in eastern North Carolina, and I'm trying to. Get, I've been trying to get her to move close to me forever. My mom's in her seventies, very Marva esque. She's not going anywhere. It just isn't happening. I can give her the long li- laundry list of reasons why she's supposed to go, and she's just not going to do it. And I think that that sort of like I've reached an age where that sort of drastic change is not something I'm willing to take on. Is really. To me, very realistic. It's something I've dealt with with older people in my life for a long time. Yeah, but I feel like, um, you know, there's bounty hunters outside of your door who might be stronger than. I think she's okay with dying. Uh, clearly, I mean, clearly she is right because she she d- doesn't do everything she can to protect her health or, you know, I mean, she's okay with th- her end. Does she not think that Andor needs her? Well, that's a question that we can ponder. What do you like, think? Well, I. I think she knows – well, okay, what I actually think. What I actually think is that she is committed that she's going to be fighting the Empire wherever she is. And if he was going to go and be fighting the Empire, maybe they would do it together. But he wasn't talking about where he had been. As far as she knew, he was, you know, kind of a lovable, ditzy playboy kind of thing. And he was going to go live on a beach and be safe and out of everything. And – so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to talk myself into her making sense because I like her and I think that she does things that make sense at least to herself. Well, we do get a scene where Brasso is explaining some of the last words that she spoke yep. to Cassian. And in that, he does say that she said Cassian has everything he needs, that he's, he's out, that he has everything. Like, so maybe that's the answer to that question is that she, she actually doesn't does. think Cassian needs her anymore. That might, that could be it. That could be a large part of it. I think it's. I think what it really would have been, and the, the thought she was having when she was supposed to be packing up, is just, I'm not going to be quiet. I'm not going to go re- retire on a beach. I'm going to be fighting the empire wherever I am. If I'm doing that around him, I'll be putting him in danger, because as far as she knows, he's going to go, you know, beyond the sure. beach. There could be a, that could be part of it too. Uh, that's, a, that's I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah, for but, sure. Because, you know, as much as she would have loved to know that he was, you know, fighting the Empire or whatever, she loved him as he was. Nothing. The, the line in the same thing, one of her last words of uh, there's nothing he could do that would be so bad as to, like, be unforgivable or something like that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. She never. Um, yeah. So she, she accepts him and likes him just the way he is, thinks that she that he's going to be safe and she is happy with that as his life for him to be safe. And if she came with him, she would mess that up and he would not be able to have a safe life if she was around. That very much could be part of it. Um, I I, I do think there's a level of like, I'm old, I'm old and I'm just not going to, I'm not going to deal with this sort of, sort of life change. I also think there might be a part of it where she realizes that Ferrix is a little bit more of a powder keg maybe than, and, and on the forefront, of this rebellion that maybe Cassian understands. And she knows that like, that's a great place to fight because there actually is more of an undercurrent of anti-imperial sentiment there 
than maybe it seems like on the surface. And of course we get that build up and, and that all explodes in episode 12. So she might be like thinking I'm also needed here. I don't know. There's a, it's a good, it's a good question to ponder. Why didn't she leave with him? I, I guess because I'm, we're all sort of prisoners of our own experience. Like I immediately thought to my mom, how oh, I can't convince her to do anything. And I'm like, yeah, I, I've had that conversation too. Like, God damn it, just leave. And she's like, nope, not going anywhere. This is my house. I'm going to sit right here in this chair. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've had similar experiences with similarly aged people and it's, it's, uh, could just be that too, but, but we, so we, we end that episode with Cassian, uh, sentenced to six years of imprisonment. I was convinced they were going to give us a time jump because I thought, first of all, I was probably conditioned through House of the Dragon to, to, to think time jumps are normal, which you called me on, which I think is very fair. And the second part is, I thought it would make a lot of sense to have him serve the full six years or 10 years or whatever, because that would, because ultimately what we have to do is build to why does he dislike the empire enough to become basically a rebel soldier? Like that, this right. is the story. Like how does he get radicalized in that way? And I thought it would be through his time spent in the prison and boy, was I wrong. It starts right out with Cassian being brought to a prison surrounded by water, surrounded by water. This is episode yep. eight. Narkina 5, that's the planet that he's brought to, where he spends every day working. And not my headcanon on what he's working on is TIE Fighters. That's my, my headcanon. Because how many TIE Fighters we get blown out of the sky? Those things are big, and they're not easy to – like, they're, they're, that, they don't just come off an assembly line. Like, that, that's a big thing to just be blown up constantly. So my headcanon is that he's working on pieces for TIE Fighters. Lee, um, I'm going to blow your mind or – like you all, you just know things already and have your, you're either five steps ahead of me or I'm about to bring you five steps up. Did you not see the, um, after credits after the last episode? Yeah, I saw that the, the Death Star piece. Um, I didn't, but I didn't connect that they were necessarily building pieces for the Death Star. But you do now, right? Well, no, I mean, we saw, I mean, we saw the, we, well, go back and watch that again. No, you explain, don't, don't tell me to go back and watch it. Like we're doing podcasts. Explain it. Uh, the, uh, the thing that they were building, the weird, like, you know, uh, spider looking thing in the after credits for anybody who missed it. Cause I didn't, I missed it the first time I had to go find it like, uh, after the fact. I watched the after credits for sure. Yeah. It, it shows that that weird spider looking thing with all the arms that they were building on the racks are being installed in the shooting mechanism of the death star. Great. Okay. I didn't connect that, but that's a really good thing to point out. Um, so great. Okay. So like, you brought me five okay. steps up. That is the, that is that they were, they were working to build things for, I mean, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really don't. it's the same concept, right? That they're building apparatus for the empire, but yeah, they're cool. So they're building things for the Death Star that actually ends yep. up destroying an entire planet, which is, you know, every time I think about Alderaan being blown up, I think about what would happen if earth just got blown out of the water. Think about that. All the, all the, everything that humans have done, all of our history, all of our books, all of our art, all of our language just gone. That's kind of a really like the scale of that was really lost on me. The first time I watched episode four, I was just like, Oh, poor Alderaan. Let's keep going. No, an entire fucking planet. Yeah. It it's treated in almost like it was a city because yeah. you, you can travel there. Everyone knows where it is. You drive there in a few hours or something and then you leave. And you know, if you're talking about a whole galaxy or universe, well, a planet kind of is like a city in a lot of ways, but 
but it's still not. It still has evolution happened on this planet. And geo and people spent their entire lives studying the geo um, uh, the geology of the rocks of this planet. And now there aren't rocks of that planet anymore. Like everything just what a waste. What a loss. It's on, it, it, the scale is so hard for me to even fathom. Um, yeah. So back to uh, episode eight, Narcan five. Vel and Senta travel to Ferrix to search for Cassian. They're trying to find Cassian. Uh, when Marva falls ill, Bix um, attempts to contact Luth, and Bix is the female love interest, I, guess, I think, of Cassian, tries to contact Luthan about Cassian's whereabouts, but Luthan, worried about being exposed to anyone monitoring communication, does not answer. He's not a, He's not going to talk to Bix, right? He then leaves Coruscant to meet with Saw Guerrera. Saul is back! Force Whitaker! Shout out. I didn't think we were going to get that character this this season. I, I was sure we'd get him in season two. I was a little surprised to see him show up in season one. Yeah. Um, Rael attempts to hire... Um, so Luthan attempts to hire Guerrero's rebel cell to act as air support for a raid on an Imperial power station. Um, organized by this guy named Grieger, but is turned away. Grieger, remember that name, Grieger? Um... Deidre Miro questions Cyril Karn about his experiences on Ferrix. Now, when she's talking to Cyril Karn, um, what wouldn't occur to you that, that that might be a romantic situation? Uh, it sort of it sort of blows my mind that Cyril or Cyril, whatever you pronounce his name, he leaves there going, "I think she's into me." Like I was like, "Dude, Cyril," because that that will help my brain. I'm just like, "Dude, like how did you how did you interpret that?" line of interrogation as I think I think something's going on here. Uh it was very surprising. Um but he uh d- she declines his offer to help with her investigation in a pretty abrupt way. She's basically like, don't fuck around with this anymore. She leads a unit to Ferrix herself where she apprehends Bix. That's sort of the conclusion of Narkina five is that uh Deidre shows up to Ferrix herself with um just a very small group, which that comes into play later, and she takes Bix because she's trying to find Cassian. So you, you mentioned the standards. I, I I thought that was just so clever. It just shows how much bureaucracy that you would never imagine has to be behind something of this scale. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have that on Earth. We've got you know, organizations who have, here's what peanut butter is. And we actually have a sample of the most generic peanut butter in the world because we need to know how many calories are actually in just peanut butter. And if it's the biggest, whatever the, where, whatever city you're in, if you're not listed from like New York or San Francisco or something, if you're living in a normal sized city, like, like uh, Jimmy and I are, whatever the biggest building in your city is times it by three. And there's a building in Washington, D.C. called the Bureau of Labor Statistics that is that size. And the whole thing is staffed with people just to figure out how people are employed and movements in the labor market. And it is the size of a city fucking block. You're right, Jimmy. We have that crap here. And these big administrative functions where you're like, I can't believe the scale of that. Yeah. And 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 then you're talking about, oh, you might move up from like gas purity standards to – you know, gas weight standards. <laughs> and, <laughs> so so I, I, I did love that. In the same way, last time I talked about how I love the, just the architecture in the background just told us so much about the day-to-day lives and what was built for people and making it real and making it feel unique. Um, you know, I, I, 
I flip-flopped uh, last episode, and I still will, on how much Star Wars gives good variety on that versus not. Because in some ways they do. A lot of planets have very distinct architectures and feels. and um, But then a lot of it kind of looks like Tatooine butt and then something else. Um, but I, I love that. Uh, I also love that it gave him the opportunity to be investigating Andor by reporting a oil thief named Andor, a, a worker in the oil fields who ditched work named Andor, like a whole bunch of stuff where he's just trying to shoehorn that name into whatever he could presumably be making reports about um, to do his own investigation. It's hilarious. That was uh, going to be my question is, is where, what you thought about the architecture piece, right? Cause you talked about that in episode. Yeah. The first episode we did covering this is that you said you found one of the most interesting things they're doing is the, the variations in architecture. Yeah. I felt like there wasn't a whole lot new in the second half as far as, you know, just like locations. I mean, there, there, there was the prison. Um, yeah. There was an Arkina five. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that clearly had its own very specific architecture, which was kind of its, its bit, uh, you know, the electric, electric floors, which I do think was very clever. Um, it, it dragged a little, but I think it was just a very clever idea. Um, you know, the, the beach town uh, didn't really care one way or the other about their architecture was different, looked realistic. Um, one thing that I don't know, for, though, was the, the architecture inside the base. I said robbing, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's not even, you know, the brutalist. It's like military, fast put together, bare, rough walls. It was so realistic for what it was. Uh, I I loved that because that was another one where it's just you could take a scene with and take out all the people and all the dialogue and just look at the set and you would already know a lot of that location um, and its relationship to the Empire uh, just by looking at the walls and the furniture. So I did love that. I didn't don't think I talked about that location in particular last time. Uh, this time it was kind of more of just the same. Like it continued being good, but they didn't have new places for me to um, uh, go gaga over. But I think that uh, you know, in a way that you'd probably like more, they did continue to dig into you know the bureau's standards and everything like that. Just the the uh, human architecture, the the bureaucracy, the, the governance itself. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite things that they they dig into, and I hope they do more of it in season two. Is like the apparatus that the Empire stood up, and how just mind-numbingly structured it is. Um, and it, it, and obviously, it's built that way to prevent people from to to, to quell individualism. Like they don't want that. That's the, they they want to you know suppress individualism at a galactic scale, and it requires this just massive administrative function. And I think there's a lot to dig into there. I mean, they could probably do series upon series of that. Matter of fact, I think they're thinking about doing a Darth Vader series um, with, um, you know, Hayden Christensen coming back. And if they do that, I hope that they do some of that, right? Because like we're seeing the, the empire from, I think a more rank and file person in Deidre and even major Protagus, Right. Um, but I think you could also examine it from the top down. Um, and Vader's interaction with it, because Vader is a very interesting character, right? He's not the head of the Empire by any stretch of the imagination. He's he's a, the buddy of Palpatine, but he doesn't run the government. And so we could see sort of through his his lens about that. It would be pretty interesting. Yeah. He's, he's head of the Jedi Council, right? He, 
He grants himself the rank of master. Uh, yeah, uh, he basically like is a, a very highly trained specialist with like three reports. That's what he is at that company. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty pretty interesting. So then we jump to the episode. My favorite, probably my favorite two part episode, like my two episode favorite two episodes that are like back to back of the entire series, and that's nobody's listening, and then one way out. So we start with nobody's listening. Uh, Deidre is on Ferrex. She and uh, her assistant torture Bix. Um, and the, the, I talked about this a little bit in the intro is like how they show torture to me seems as realistic as anything I know about torture, which is that it takes an awful lot of courage to willingly do it. Like it, you can see and Bix doesn't go into this thinking this is going to be blase. She's scared when she's going into it and it hurts her and she's changed because of it. Like all of those things are important to, to show that it's true torture. It's not, you know, they, they, they have designed this to affect your brain long term and, and to, to get any information they want out of you. Unfortunately, they fail to learn much about, um, Luthen from Bix. That's what they're after. But they do in the course of this, it looks like Deidre starts to pick up the pieces that Kaskin may have been involved in the Aldani attack. And that's kind of an important connection for her because now Cassian's really rising up the rankings of sort of Deidre's most wanted list, right? Like she's he's now in the maybe top two or three. The ISB capture a rebel pilot from Krieger's group who reveals that a power station um, on a planet I can't remember the name of is set to be raided. And so they get that intel and that we've learned that through the ISB. So let me ask you something. I want your answer on why when Darth Vader is interrogating Princess Leia with the weird little ball with a syringe. Why does he not have the greatest hits of torture music that he can just give her then? Because I've got or guesses, and and then there's always just a hand wave of we hadn't invented it yet, like practical out of character. Yeah, I don't. I don't in, I, in story. I, yeah, I don't know in story. I mean, my answer to that is that they did not want to have a torture scene where Leia is fundamentally changed at the end of it because she had so much more story left to tell. They couldn't have her be completely broken at the end of that. So it had to be something that was a lighter, a bit of a lighter touch. So you might be right. Well, I, I, well, they said they were going to kill her. They may, maybe were, maybe weren't initially um, in character. I, I did come up with a theory because this bothered me a little bit. I thought, you know, this is almost a, Friggin' super palette, uh, just to be able to do this in a minutes to anybody forever. Um, what would be the worst thing for the Empire is if that sound recording got out on the Internet. They need to keep that thing locked down tight where it can be used, but it's never digitized. It's never transmitted. There aren't lots of copies of it rolling around because – what could somebody do if they had that? Well, they could become you know, a pirate or something and just blow up everybody in front of them by playing terrible, soul-crushing tunes at them. Or they could cripple the Empire by just playing it on all the loudspeakers, by hacking into the loudspeakers. I, I feel like this might be another good example, like why the money was kept as money, where they don't want to rely too much on the Internet. Or something, you know. They don't want things to be hackable. They don't want things to be uh, reasonable or abusable in any of those ways. Uh, and that, that's just kind of how they set that balance on efficiency versus security. 
maybe in a world you know where you know quantum computers are right now becoming a thing in the real world and they're maybe going to cause serious problems in passwords not working anymore and things not being secure if you had where everybody's got a quantum computer well you wouldn't put anything on the internet you you wouldn't connect anything to the internet that had anything secret on it ever it would all be physical copies so maybe that's an example of them doing that that makes sense. Uh, that's a that's a good in world answer. Um, I like that. Uh, then we see Mon Mothma gets reunited with Vel, and that gets revealed that they're related. I believe Vel is maybe her cousin, and uh, Mon Mothma sort of encourages Vel to keep a low profile, kind of like setting her up to be like the Paris Hilton of Coruscant at this point. Like it, we want you to be like sort of rich and uninvolved, and it seems like you just don't care about anything, right? You just travel all the time. Um, Mon and the guy that we met in the previous episode, his name is Tay, continue working to, to gather funds for rebel activities. Um, it looks like he's going to be able to help her at the start of this, com- you know, interaction. And we slowly start to learn that he might not be able to help her at the level that she needs. Meanwhile, an older member of Kaskin's prison, uh, work crew named Olaf is euthanized by a prison medic when he suffers a stroke and can no longer work effectively. That was a tough scene where he, the lead up to the stroke, how he's clearly being um, physically stretched and the demands on his body are such that his, his body is starting to break and then he suffers the stroke and then they just kill him. It's just like, okay, well, he can't work anymore. And he ostensibly had like, what was it, like a day. 30 days or something before his release. What we learn later is that that's all a facade, that nobody, nobody gets out. Nobody gets out. One way out. There's only one way out, Jamie. Um. Doctor, the the doctor uh, confirms to Cassian and floor manager Kino Loy a disturbing rumor. This is where we we get to this right, which is prisoner completed his prison sentence was sent back to work on a different level, and people found out about that and it forced them to basically kill everybody on that level to cover it up, so that it didn't get out that people don't get out right. That, that's kind of how I took that is that they they mistakenly put a guy back into the system in such a way that he was recognized. All the people who recognized him were killed because they can't, that, that, you know, as bad as the empire is, and people know seemingly at this point in time that the empire is not super great on ethics, right? Yeah. The idea that, you know, no one ever gets out of prison ever likely would be scandalous across the universe. I think they are probably trying to keep that under wraps. what do you think? So I, I actually hadn't thought about that. I had not thought about them being worried uh, for you know, that fact getting out. And that's interesting. Um, on the one hand, the fact wouldn't get out because none of the people were going to get out. Like they, they, none of these people were going to be released to be able to say that nobody gets released. Um, they were all going to be killed eventually there or die on their own. Um, but I think they just didn't want anyone walking around who wasn't Empire with that knowledge. Anyway. I, I bet you're right. I think it's a little bit more of they knew that the only reason these people are working and cooperating is the hope of getting out. And if they didn't, they would either riot or fight or refuse to work, at least. And so if they're not going to work, we don't need them. And if they're rioting, we got to first strike them kind of thing. Um, I did. It it did bring a real big question to me that I never got to figure out a good and maybe they said it and I missed it. Why don't they just make these on a dang machine chain? Why don't they just have robots building these? 
Um, well, I think that, so my read is that this is all done very fast. Like the Empire scales up is startlingly fast. And I think that in order to create what you're talking about, you'd have to engineer the correct manufacturing machines. You'd have to build these huge lines. It, all that would cost money. This is free. This is, they don't have to build anything. They don't have to design anything to create, to create the, the apparatuses, right, for the Death Star. Instead, they can just falsely imprison a ton of people that nobody, quote, nobody cares about and free labor. You don't have to, your engineers don't have to work to, to create the, the manufacturing line, et cetera, et cetera. I guess you're right. It's just, it seems like a lot of effort to, um, transport people and guard them and feed them and, house them and everything like that when you could just make some more robots. But what we learn is that it's actually not a heavy lift, right? Because of the technology they have in the prison facility, there's only just a couple guards that they use, which ends up being the real problem, right? Which is how they're able to get out. There's not a ton of guards on Narkina 5 because at any given point, they can just fry you like (laughs) while you're on the floor. Yeah. I, I had initially thought it made sense because, you know, they, they are imprisoning these people and you could either imprison them and have them stare at the wall uh, or for the exact same guards and food, get some slave labor out of them. And so that made sense as far as why they're doing this, because they've got the people sitting there. If they were planning just to kill them anyway, I, they would save a lot if they just killed them quicker. Just like, oh, we're shipping you off. And then, you know, I, I mean, this is. I, I don't want to try to, like, figure out how to be an evil fascist government more efficiently. But that part just didn't never made perfect sense. Maybe you're right, though. Maybe it's just that it actually is still hard to make uh, – I don't know. I can't really think that it's that hard to make a, uh, a factory. I think, I think it would be expensive and much more expensive than what they're doing now. And I think it would, it would require a lot of their engineers to design it. And I think that their engineers are busy designing a big – Massive thing that's going to explode planets at the press of a button. So that that's that's just how I explained it in my head. Cassian and Kino realize that the prison never let them go, and then we get the probably the best scene maybe of the entire season where Cassian says how many guards, and Kino tells him finally tells him how many guards there are on any floor at any given point, indicating that Kino's ready to fucking roll. Now I do want to address something. Kino uh, is played by. Kino Loy is played by Andy Serkis, who also plays um, what's his nuts, the unimportant guy in the sequel Snoke. movies. Snoke. 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 He also plays Snoke. The idea, Kino equals Snoke. Please, please, people, just just don't just get rid of it. We know what Snoke is. Snoke was created in a lab to be a vessel of the Emperor. We get that reveal in the in the last in episode nine. Snoke is not a person. He's just a created thing um we actually see in episode nine some of the snoke proto the clone snoke prototypes in tubes and stuff that's not the same person andy circus however Gollum, wonderful performance is Gollum. shout out to him for the Gollum performance not clapping really 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 phenomenal actor and a great voice actor and my understanding is that andy circus actually uh voices uh the entire lord of the rings on audiobook if you ever wanted to Delve into that, yeah. He, now he I, want, I I want to listen to that. Now that sounds amazing, actually. Yeah, really, really cool. I, I, I'm a I'm a massive Andy Circus fan. I think, he, and, and and you know what's cool is that he does all this voice acting and character work, right? But he also can do something that is subtle, as as subtle as Kino Loy's 
character here because it, it is it, to me the power is in the subtlety of his performance how he starts to now it's very it, it's clear to Cassian and starts to become clear to us over time that Kino always has had these thoughts or at least at one point did have these thoughts and Cassian's trying to pull it out of him right I, and we finally get that moment at the end of this episode which is super powerful and I was like I I, I, I was so mad we didn't have the Netflix model at the end of this because when he says that he says like 12 at any given point or whatever and I had to wait a week for the next episode I was so bummed out yeah I you are absolutely right on what he brought to the role it would have been very easy to cast that role but uh, uh, you know I, I, I don't know the names of the actors but I'm thinking of some right now they're just kind of like yelling jughead Hard ass. Yeah. Right. Uh, been easy to cast that, and they would have said the same lines, and it would have worked fine, but we wouldn't have cared about him. He would have been a, a functionary. It, it would have been a, a plot point, a piece to get from A to B. We wouldn't care if he can swim, but he made a real interesting character who seemed conflicted at all points, um, but. Seemed internally conflicted at all points, but in actions always seemed relatively certain. And then that that shifted, but the the uncertainty inside never completely shifted. But the certainty of action, it, it was really interesting to see that that very realistic dichotomy of somebody who can be very committed to the actions, stay uncertain inside, but not let that uncertainty slow them. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I say that out loud. That is a big part of the theme of this whole dang show, actually. Yeah, really well said. I completely agree. Um, and then between episode nine and ten, before episode ten is titled One Way Out, it's clear that between nine and ten, we have maybe a time jump of, I don't know, a couple weeks, month, something like that. And they, they've developed a plan to, to try to escape from this facility. So it starts with um, Cassian, who has been over time slowly trying to disable or break a water pipe that is in the bathroom facility near where they're working. And he's just like, it's literally like Shawshank, just digging in the wall. Like it is just a little bit over time, a little bit over time. He finally floods the floor, disables the floor security system, allowing the crew there to overpower the few guards and escape. In a scene where some people have to actually sacrifice themselves. I mean, like the, it's only like a couple guards, but they have blasters and you have to overwhelm them to get the blasters from them. And like some people die in that. And that's just how that would have to work. Right. Yeah. Kino uses the prison's intercom system to encourage other people to escape. Holy crap. That's so good. When he's like, he starts out and then Cassian's like that all you got. And then he like gets more into it, really trying to get people, um, you know, from the other floors to participate. They end up participating and it becomes a, almost entire like plant or prison wide break and they all are running out. And this is where I was like cheering on the treadmill at the gym, which is they're running and everybody's screaming one way out and they're just kicking the shit out of any security people that they get to, they get to the edge. And then we have probably the most heartbreaking part of the season one where Kino reveals that he cannot swim. Now Kino flew in the same way that Cassian flew in on our Kino five. He knows that the plant's surrounded by water. He knows he can't swim. So the the implication here is that during this entire prison break sequence, when he's doing risking his life, doing everything he can to try to get everybody out, he knows he's not actually going to be able to escape. Maybe. Uh, So I had assumed that there would be a ship there. Maybe it's a tiny ship, but like an escape pod, a boat, something for if the crew needed to get out. Like, you know, if the guards needed to go somewhere, I guess 
they would just wait to get picked up. They'd call. Uh, they'd call. Yeah, they'd I think. Or that, maybe sometime there is a shift there, but there just happened yep. to not be one right then. Right. I, I think his hope would have been was that there would be something. And may, I bet you're right. I bet he knew it might not be there. Like, I don't know if mine's certain. I, I think he at least, I think he had a realistic um, hope. Maybe not likely. I'm sure he, he might have hoped. Yeah, for sure. But he he had to think there's a chance here that part of part of what we have to do is swim. We're literally surrounded by water. Now, what I the part where it starts to fall apart if I get if I get too nitpicky is like I swim. I'm a pretty good swimmer. Jamie, if you can't swim, I tell you jump. I'll drag you. Like let's go. Yeah. Like um, there's enough people there. They probably could have drug him to shore. But yeah. Put that on the side. I think it's well, supposed to be an emotionally impactful moment. Well, and on the flip side of that, how far were they ashore? Because it looked like further than a normal human can swim. It was a long ways for sure. They were exhausted when they got there. Like, um, like I, I don't know. I'm, I don't swim on a regular basis, but I'm capable of swimming. Uh, you know, I have swum in the last year. I, I'm not sure that I would survive a swim that long. I don't know. And at least not at a speed to not be picked up by a cruiser or something. So I think I, they were, I think they were purposely vague about how far it was. I, I think so too. Far enough that dragging him was not an easy answer at least, but close enough that some people would live. So, and who I, knows? They might've tried. They didn't show the entire yeah. sequence. They might, he, you know, might've jumped and they might've tried because only a couple people reached the shore that we saw. It wasn't like a hundred people land. It wasn't D-Day that landed ashore. We only right. saw a few people land. So I, my, my guess there is that some people did die in this one. So my headcanon that I am making up, but it would. Yeah, I love this. I love made up right. headcanon. Is that he doesn't jump in the water because he sees that's too far. Like, you know, you, even people who can't swim, maybe you'll figure out, maybe you'll flounder, maybe you'll float on your back. I'm not getting out there. I believe that he goes and blows up the prison. I like it. I'd be down with that. He turns around, goes back inside, self-destructs or plants bombs or something, and he blows the whole thing. The Laura Dern? The Laura Dern from the sequel movies? Laura Dern, blow it. Let's let's just self-destruct the ship, ram it into another one? I love it. Absolutely. And, and you know, it it wouldn't have made a big impact. You know, there were other prisons, I think you saw on the horizon or something, really just be this one, but it's something. It's the only thing he can do left besides – throw a punch as he gets shot when the reinforcements come in. But he could just blow this one up, set them back a little bit. I, I That's what he did. I can't think of so, anything he would have done. Uh, that or, you know, if it wasn't something that dramatic, something in that vein where he stays behind and continues to just beat up any security guard who's trying to call for help or, you know, stalls to give them as much time as possible, that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Mon Mothma meets with a guy named, uh, we don't, he, we, they don't say his name a lot. It's Davo. Davo. Not Davos, like, uh, not our, our knuckled fingered friend from Game of Thrones. It's Davo. Shady businessman who offers to help her finance a project. So this guy, it seems like basically what happens is that Tay tells Mon what your, the situation as far as imperial scrutiny over personal finances has progressed to the point that I can't do what you're asking me to do. If you're going to get this done, it's got to be through somebody who really skirts the law and is kind of shady. And that's, that's how she's set up with this guy. Dava. She knows Dava from before though. She's aware of him and she has, um, I would say some 
prejudices uh, about how he operates his, and his business and his character, et cetera, et cetera. And he basically says, I'll help you, but you, your daughter needs to meet my son because da- Mon is from a planet and culture called Chandrillan. And apparently it's very common to arrange marriages for children at a very young age, which happened with Mon. That's why she's in this marriage with this guy she probably doesn't like. They got married at like 12 or something, right? And this guy wants to set the same thing up with her daughter. Now, one thing we learned in this episode is that against sort of Mon's wishes, her daughter is diving headfirst into the traditional Chantrillon culture. Like, she's yeah. like – into it, like basically, and you can you can draw the parallel with like a religious society, right? Like a a mother who's sort of like kind of over the church, and then the daughter's just like jumping head first in it, almost as an act of personal rebellion against the mother. That's kind of what we're seeing here. And at this point, Mon is still saying no. ISB supervisor, um, who's also a rebel informant, meets with Luthen and updates him on ISB activities. And that's when we get the scene here at the end of One Way Out that you're talking about. That's, I mean, the, between the prison break and this scene and the whole thing with Maud and the arranged marriage, this episode was a fucking home run. It's Aaron Judge, 500-foot home run for me. I loved it. And that last scene where they're kind of on these platforms and Luthen goes into this speech, which kind of won the internet for the week, which was, what have I sacrificed? And then he goes into every single thing he sacrificed. And at the end, he says, what have I sacrificed? Everything. Shout out. What an episode. Episode 10. I really did like this episode a lot. Um, yeah, I, I loved everything about that whole exchange. This speech was, I mean, good enough that we, we've already talked about it twice. Um, but the whole of the exchange was so well done. Um, you know, the whole, if, if this is a trap, press three instead or something like that. The, you know, it's not fair that you know about my daughter. Like that, I loved all of that. It made so much sense why this guy was in it at one point and now wants, wants out. Um, and, and it's interesting to think of other times when people want out in TV shows and it's usually crime that they, they were in crime for a while and now they've got a family they have to think about and they want out and the crime boss are like, you're, I tell you when you're out and that's no, he, this is him doing the same thing, but like for good. And then he kind of, exactly says that says i'm having to run this in ways that i don't like i'm having to run this like the way a criminal would run a criminal empire um and so you know no you're not out because there is no out because you're never out and by the way but say hey to your kid and wife for me uh which is was so jarring um but it stuck with me and you know this guy who I feel for like in that scene, I I felt for both of them. Like I understood exactly why both of them were doing what they were doing. And I thought they were both not wrong a lot. This happened a lot. And it just shows how it's very well done and nuanced and mature that a lot of times when people are arguing or disagreeing, it's done in a way where I actually agree with both of them. I I said for episode one, when, uh, you know, on, the one guard wanted to report it and the other one wanted to sweep it under the rug. And I'm like, they're both right. This makes perfect sense. I, right. could, I could agree with either one of them or in, if I were in that situation. Um, right. so I really felt for that Imperial officer who has to watch bad things happen and probably do bad things himself and assist in bad things all the time. Um, and not, 
as, you know, one of the reluctant people who is still just a bad guy and just the fact that he feels bad about it afterwards doesn't help. No, he's actually, like, wants nothing to do with it, and he's doing it because if it wasn't him, somebody else would. And he's doing it for his deep cover so that he can do other good stuff. Um, every single day is necessary evils in his life. Um, I feel for that guy. That, that's, that is rough. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, you know, I think he makes a good case to Luthen about why he should be sort of let go. Like I don't, when he was like get, kind of stating his case, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, he sacrifices on this thing. But then when Luthen's counter to that made perfect sense to me too, which was like, there is never, there's no out. You, what are you talking about? We we don't get out. Um, and then he used himself as an example of, I'll never be out. I'll never be happy. I will. What did he say? I, I, I fight for a sunrise I'll never see or something, something like that. Really well, well written. Um, yeah. What a fucking episode. Well, man. This, and- Episode 10 was, was the, the apex. I mean, I love some of the, the, the really cumulative scenes in episode 12, Rick's Road, but this was my favorite. Uh, it, it, I did also like um, that it was it was unsaid and, and unalluded to, but, late, you know, we, we know if the guy really wanted out, he would have gotten been killed. Like, it, it, being yes. murdered in the rebellion is the only way he could have gotten out because he knows who Lutheran is. Yeah, if he if he says I don't care what you say, Luther, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah, he's going to be rip. Yep. Yeah. No, 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 not I, I it didn't even allude to that. It just it didn't get to that point because the rest of it was powerful. But we know it. Yeah. But we know it. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with that. Uh, then we get to episode eleven, daughter of Ferrix. Daughter of Ferrix, of course, referencing Marva. Uh, she dies, and there's going to be a funeral ceremony on Ferrix, and of course. What cracked me up is that the Empire was like, and of course we're not going to authorize the permit for the funeral. Of course we're not. Like that's just like standard. Like no, we're not gonna we're not gonna allow such a thing. And Deidre's like, no, 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 allow it because we might be able to lure Cassian back for it, right? Yeah. Vel informs um, Kila, uh, which is this sort of new character, um, who is the one that is. Uh, God damn it, who's Keela again? Um, that's not my notes. Anyway, informs Keela about Marva's death and learns of Mon Matha's plan to marry off her daughter to secure funding through Davo. Mon's daughter, Lita, begins taking part in group gatherings based on the Shantrillan culture. This is what I was talking about, where she's sort of diving headfirst in the Shantrillan culture, which really distresses Mon and Vel both because neither one of them really bought into it. It's all, all window dressing for them at this point with their culture. Uh, Cyril also learns about the funeral from Linus Mosk, another sort of side character that he he's he's utilizing and like the the conversation is through this sort of like broken intercom that he's got in his house where the guy's reporting from Ferrix to him like hey she's dead you know blah 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 and it's like kind of like a really broken thing and then we see uh, Saw Gerrera who d- decides at the last moment to assist Grieger's attack on Spellhouse but Luthen jumps in and says how about we don't how about you don't sacrifice yourself? How about you don't participate in this? Because the ISB already know about this assault, and he's set up for failure. If you jump into this, you're probably going to die too, and you're too important. And that's when the real like brutality of Luthen starts to come out in that conversation. He seems to even shock Saul, and Saul seems like a pretty brutal guy. But Luthen's like, yeah, Krieger's going to go to his death, and it's, it's more important that he go to his death and we not give him unexplained backup, be, then then 
then we mess up this sort of like inside track we have to ISB knowledge, right? Because I, that's how I took it is that Luthen was saying, if Krieger A doesn't attack and we tell him about it, he pulls out, or if we give him like unexplained backup, whatever, we might tip our hand that we have this inside knowledge within the ISB and that the ISB knows about it. And that, and that intel, that line to the ISB is more important than Krieger and his group. So I, I didn't, I didn't get that about, um, you know, having extra backup. I think it was, look, the empire knows, um, you know, we, we are a clandestine rebel group. We can't go toe to toe with them or we'll lose. They're going to lose. If you show up, you're going to lose. You know, maybe you'll be killed. Maybe you'll be captured. Purpose. So if you go and send your guys for people on a suicide mission, and then he says, you know, if, if, if Krieger's captured, you know, he, he doesn't know my face. You know my face. Like, I heard to knowingly let you go be captured because that would cause other problems. But they, but he's, they're not willing to tell Krieger. Right. Because the ISB knows about it. And if Krieger pulls out of the attack, it would potentially trigger some sort of like, well, how did he know about it? How did he pull out? Questions that they don't want asked because that line, because Luther makes a point of pointing out that like that line to the ISB, that knowledge that they have about the, you know, that, that, that sort of like inside man, which we, you know, found out last episode was Lonnie is more important than Krieger. That's more important than him. Yeah. And they're willing to sacrifice him. Yeah. So there, I saw some really good analysis and I am not a, um, I'm not aware enough about geopolitics, um, and everything to really say, but they were talking about how the different members of the were doing things so differently. And you had the kind of infighting of the different factions and you had some that were, um, you know, who it's a little bit unclear what he wants and believes, but at least on the outside, she's just a, Revisionist, she, she's, you know, wanting to make the empire be a kinder, gentler empire. And then you have, you know, Paul Guerrera and his group that are very much, you know, uh, in, in a physical violent sense, whatever it takes. Guerrera, gorilla, yeah. And then you have, uh, you know, Lutheran, who is, seems much more savvy and clandestine and not, um, seems at first at least not as violent and vicious as, as Saul Guerrera. But then you see he's way more uh, mercantile about it all at, when he needs to be. Um, but just the idea that the rebellion and any rebellion is not a unified force a lot of times. A lot of people push directions and with different ideas. Um, there were people making comparisons to the IRA, um, the, the Irish Rebellion, and their different facts. I don't know if that was intentional, but apparently – the positions line up rather well to some subgroups in the IRA. Um, I only read somebody else talking about this. I'm not an expert, but that's really interesting. Even whether it's intentional or not, just kind of making that comparison. I think. Yeah. And I think that like what we saw in rogue one, which was a lot of Saw Gerrera, a lot of blunt force stuff, like, you know, we're going to go in and just do the mission. They had to round that out with the Luthans of the world and Mon Mothma's where, cause the, the, I mean, the scale of the empire and the, the power of them, it was never going to work if you didn't have somebody who leveraged like real mechanisms of power in this galaxy. Not I've got 15 ships and I'm ready to go like fight. Like, can I move money around? Do I have inside insight into their, um, you know, their intelligence and what they know or don't know? Like, am I leveraging that information? Like that's the stuff that I think really 
sets up a rebellion to win long term. I mean, of course you need people who are willing to fight and die. That's super important and heroic. But like you're going to go nowhere if it's just Saul Guerrero's of the world. And that's why that conversation with Luthen and Saul was so important. And it established the hierarchy of this part of the rebellion, which is that's great, dude. Go. You, you, I love your I love your <laughs> I love the I love the spunk here. But we need to be a little bit more strategic. Yeah. So so the, I think you're right. You know, Saul Guerrero, his group would be very much. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not a coward. I'll give it whatever it takes to give. And if I find be, I'm taking out a hundred of the empire. That's a good trade. And Luther's like, uh, if we did that, we'd take out one percent of the empire, and then we wouldn't be here anymore. One to a hundred is bad ratio. We can't do that. We um, gotta hit like one to like five hundred thousand. One yeah. to one million. Yeah. Um. So I I think you're right. Just the idea that the um kind of their different roles and which one is uh, kind of needs to win out if you want to win as a whole, at least in this situation. I loved the exchange where, you know, he was apologetic for telling Saul about all this. He was like, I didn't want you to have to make this decision. I didn't want to tell you Um, because it's not the way there's a price, I guess is what it's showing like on your soul of making these kinds of trade-offs because you know, all the, all the, you know, the trolley problem of who are you going to kill? And all right, well, if it's an academic problem, you can have a conversation about it and you can think what's better, what's worse when you're actually doing it though. And you realize that, you know, the fact that you save 10 people doesn't change the fact that you just killed a guy and you're going to know that forever. Um, and, and Luther takes that on his himself so much and he seems to still feel it. But, you know, he he knows that that has a cost that shouldn't be shared if it can't if it doesn't have to be shared. Um, but also, we do see that we do see that Luthen's willing to throw down, though, because the very next scene is he escapes from an Imperial patrol and actually kills some TIE fighters in the process. Yeah, uh, which was also just very fun. Um, then with um, help from a few folks, Cassian, Cassian's able to go um, from Narkina 5 back to this tourist planet to recover some of his belongings. Um, that's when he discovers through conversations, I believe, who is he talking to? He's talking to my, my homeboy. Um, what's this guy's name? Brasso. Uh, finding out, I think it's Brasso, and he finds out that Marvis oh, no, Cass- Cass- guy. Say what? Some other guy, it's not Brasso. Okay, well, he talks to, he, maybe he talks to Brasso in episode 12, and that's when, that's what I have. Uh, but he eventually does reunite with Brasso. But anyway, he finds yeah. out that Marva's passed. Um, and then Cassian and the guy who he's with named Melshi, right? This is the guy he escaped from Narkina 5 with. That guy actually shows back up in Rogue One. Like, we know he survives. He's a character in Rogue One, uh, Melshi. And they talk about, you know, one of the Yeah, he's one of the people who are like basically like a trooper, like a, a soldier uh, as part of the, gr- the group that's together in Rogue One. They part ways. They eventually are going to get back together again, clearly, and they talk about wanting to expose the prison system because it's absolutely fucking insane. And that's the end of Episode 11, Daughter of Fairies. Then we get to the finale, Rick's Road. Called that way, uh, called Rick's Road, because that's where they have the funeral, I believe, for Marva. Marva Cassian taking the bait. Pissing me off in the process, thinks he's going to go back for Marva's funeral, which really annoyed the shit out of me. Um, and that's when he learns about Bix's imprisonment. Dijamero and the local Imperial garrison prepare to use the funeral to capture Andor. Questioning, um, while Luthen plans to kill Cassian using the Imperial ambush's cover. So Cassian's got like 
people after him everywhere at this point. I mean, Deidre wants him. Luthen wants him. Everybody wants him dead. Um, very, yeah, very, very wanted person. He has to be succeed in stopping Krieger's attack. They leave no prisoners. Angry Miro. Miro wants prisoners, damn it. She is, she is in the information business. She wants to interrogate. I, I loved, um, I think, I think this is where it was. Her, every single time, like the number one there on Ferrix, not her, like the guy who's local, um, and is reporting to her. And he's always saying stupid stuff. Uh, he's very confident, but <laughs> at every point that he can make a decision, he makes the wrong one. And it's just showing, um, well, it's, it's showing the, the risk when you have folks who don't see the bigger picture. And a lot of times in the Empire, people don't see the bigger picture on purpose because you're keeping information close to the vest. The idea of, you know, well, we've got snipers on the roof. It's like, did you not hear me? We need to take him alive. Oh, we're not going to let there be a party. No, make it a big party. We're like, this is how you get things. It's like, oh, no, we're going to keep it very small. Nope, let it be big. Like, my man, my man, you're not you're not listening to any of the words coming out of my mouth here. Just go. Come, come I know, and 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 the, the actress who plays Deidre gives him some funny, really funny looks. Like she she does, she has a good like you're a fucking idiot look uh, about her, which she also gives to Cyril, and Cyril like gets back with her, right? Like he finds her on the streets there on a uh, Coruscant, and he's like, hey, you know, basically like I'm like, kind of talking about how much he likes her, and she's like, get the fuck away from me, right? Um, then back to the recap, uh, we get the reveal that Mon Mothma has. Taken Vel's advice, her, Vel wasn't specifically talking about this situation, but sort of talking about this advice, which is you sacrifice for the Empire, and then we see the introduction of her daughter with Davo's son. You've skipped a scene with her, though, that I think is well, worth then, Well, then say it, say it. The scene in the car. I skip in a lot of scenes because I'm trying to do a recap of six episodes, so I, please, please feel free to jump in at any point. I love the scene in the car with her and her husband because – and this is something where I was actually not – uh, smart as smart as, as my wife. I was watching with my wife, and she's accusing her husband of being gambling again. Yeah, and it's gambling. Very, it's a very human, interesting interaction, and you know, I buy it completely. And you know, they're being spied on by the driver, who you know she has suspected is a plant for the empire all along. Uh, right. He's living when they don't think that he is, and you know, my, my, my wife even said like she's really smart, and I thought she's really smart. Because she knows that he's lying and was able to figure all this out. And no, she made all that shit up. He did keep his promise. He's not gambling. She made that all of that up because she knew that the guy in front would be listening. And now it explains any money problems. It might be missing. Yep. Exactly. If there's money missing, you know, the, the whole where I, where would I get the money? That's what scares me the most. Well, if there's money missing now, that's why. Um, and it, it was fascinating that she's sending them down, you know, non-existent rabbit holes or building in backup plans to backup plans on if they find that the money's all missing. So smart and clever of her to do that. And I didn't even realize what she was doing until after after it was done. Um, loved that. Showing off how she really is, you know, three-dimensional chess here. Love. Yeah, really great. Really glad you pointed that out. And also shows that she's willing to, like, which is, I mean, you know, doesn't seem like she's sacrificing a ton, but she's willing to, like, completely sacrifice the dynamic of her marriage, right? Because she doesn't let him in on what she's doing. She just accuses him of gambling. She's like, you're fucking that. And, and never gives in in the conversation that she believes him. 
And he's just kind of left like, what is this shit about? You know, like she's willing to sacrifice pretty much anything at this point. I mean, she's sacrificing the relationship with her husband. She's sacrificing the future of her daughter. She's doing anything and everything she can to move the money around. And it just, I mean, Von Moffman is the closest thing we have to a legacy character in the show. And she is being really set up as one of the, the primary heroes of this rebellion that culminates in episode four, five, six. I will also point out that there was a lot of discussion online leading up to this episode that the Emperor might make a um appearance. Palpatine might be talking to, you know, some of the ISP folks, to Major Protagus or something. Jamie, how did you feel about the fact they did not include Palpatine in this season at all? I, I'm glad they didn't. I think it works really well that you're showing even if uh, I liked that the big guy that we had, you know, her 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 boss at the at the governmental agency, we saw his boss. And, you know, him just kind of having to say yes, sir, to his boss once. Just the idea that all these people who are really intimidating, everybody is like stepping lightly around them. They are having to do the same thing to somebody who is still, you know, down the chain. Um, But I I thought it was really interesting how, you know, she was saying what it should have been as far as getting to the goals. And, you know, she was told, no, like this is internal PR. Uh, we need the emperor to not be scared because we need him to not be messing around with us. And right. us. We need him to, and not, you know, not to be distracted by all this and to not be worried more about things that he shouldn't be worried about. And, you know, this is us doing our job because, you know, internal morale means managing up. We, we, we're managing up here right now. We're, we're helping. Oh uh, yeah. A ton of that happening. Yeah. Um, and that, that was, that was so interesting and showing how, not a united front the empire is even internally there's not just people vying for position the way that the sith would but people who just don't trust each other and have to manipulate each other in normal very like earth human ways but also in ways to just show that they're not all on the same page uh and how even all the way up to the emperor they're not logical they're not always making good decisions they are still emotional humans um, who who are are wrong or dumb sometimes, or at least that people think they are. Maybe the emperor. I mean, we kind of talk about how he is the smartest person. He plans everything out. He does not, with maybe rare exception, get distracted by you know his emotions. He he's he's Sith. He's very emotional, but he does master them and makes them do what he wants them to. Um, but at a bare minimum, his people don't do the best things because they think he's going to be controlled by emotions. Um, Yep. I think it's important they didn't include him because they want the story to be about the story, right? When you start, when you, when you introduce Palpatine into this, it's just such a loaded character in a lot of good ways, but a loaded character, it would have overshadowed some of the, some of the characters certainly would have overshadowed major Protagus and would have overshadowed Deidre. And the story's about them really, you know, the characters that they're telling. So I'm glad they didn't do it. I love how the shadow of the emperor empire, the shadow of the emperor exists whenever you're on Coruscant kind of everywhere. Um, And that's what he would want to be. You know, he, he's, he's like, sure. He's a symbol. You know, he he's doing stuff and making decisions and powerful and everything. But he he's a symbol. He's present even when he's not present. And I liked that a lot more. I liked his ghost basically being in every single room rather than him showing up as a person and almost yeah, like coming I, down 
level. Or, you know, giving a speech from a giant floating head in the sky, which would be, you know, maybe effective and keeps him from looking small again. But yeah, I think that might they might be setting up for something like that in season two. So during the funeral, B2 Emo, which is now my probably my favorite droid in Star Wars at this point. I'm I'm all about B2. The sad robot's uh, name is Emo? Like, okay. B-T-E-M-O. B-T-E-M-O. I call him B-T-E-M-O. Yeah. Um, the, the mean robot's name is General Grievous, and the sad robot's name is Emo. Like, I... I yeah, I and, the guy who, who, and the guy who does guerrilla warfare is named Saul Guerrero. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, it's, it's a I, long... I love these so much. I, I, hate, I hate the name that they gave it. Yeah, I, don't, I, I love him so much I don't care. Um, I, I, I understand the point, though, but I, I just don't care. He displays a recording to Marva, which is about two stories high, who rallies the populace to fight the Empire. At the culminating in the line, fight the Empire, which causes the Empire to step in, um, almost like <laughs> damage damage B in the process, like flips him over, and then there's a riot that starts. Now, here's something I'd like to ask a question. I'm really interested in your specific opinion about this. So the, the writers have been very clear that they wanted in this scene Marva to say, fuck the Empire. They wrote it that way. They wanted to, they actually filmed it that way. And Disney said, no, you cannot do that in a Star Wars show. Now, now you have not been super critical of the Disney takeover of Star Wars on this podcast. And you also have young children that you're trying to, you know, sensibly probably show the Star Wars world to at some point. How do you feel about Disney stepping in and saying that's a bridge too far? You can't say fuck the Empire. I, I'm going to let you down. I don't know that I have a strong opinion about it. I, I, I'm not sure that I care all that much. I don't feel like it would have been more powerful if they had. It would have been actually surprising just because I would not have expected it on a show on Disney Plus. So I would have been like me, the audience outside of the world would have noticed but i feel like i i don't mind in almost any context language. i'm not offended i think it should be able to be used i think it's fine but i would have been surprised and my surprise would have taken me out of the moment a little bit um i think it would have fit in world perfectly fine um i'm not sure in world it would have been more or less powerful to you know to the people at the funeral I'm not sure that would have mattered. So I don't know that it would have been more effective in world. And I do think it would have taken me not some people would be taken out of it in a bad way because they're uptight or grumpy or, you know, protective or have kids in the room and or something. I think it would have taken me out of it too, just because I wouldn't have expected it. And it had needs to happen a lot on Disney plus before I don't find it surprising. Um, so I, I, I don't like that kind of censorship, but in this case, I don't think it made anything worse and maybe made it play better. Okay. So you, as long as you're answering honestly, you don't disappoint me with your answer. That's all. I just care that you're just giving us your opinion. So I yeah, – You can cut out I don't, silence where I made up an opinion on the spot because I didn't even have that much to start with. You can cut uh, out. You, no, well, the fact that you don't care is important, right, because it shows that you don't feel like the line would have been more impactful, right? Like – I think it would have. I think I think the fact that it would have startled people by saying, whoa, whoa, there's a, there's an F word in Star Wars, there's an F word on Disney Plus, like that would have shown the power of the moment and would have shown the message that Marvel was trying to instill to people. I think if you're ever going to Im- you're ever going to use that type of language in Star Wars, this was the perfect moment, the perfect show for it. I'm mad that since he uh, mad, I'm mad, mad is a strong word. 
I would have preferred if Disney Plus didn't censor it. If for no other reason than I think it would have been better in the scene for me, for me personally. But also, I don't like that they've set that line in the scene because that just that that says well, writers can't go past it, right? They can't use the specific mm-hmm. language for specific moments, no matter what the situation. Because if they're not going to allow it in Andor in this moment, they're never going to allow it. Like that, that's that. that I, I can't imagine that they'd say, okay, well, you know what? But you know what? Obi Wan can use it if he gets really pissed off at Darth Maul in season two of Obi Wan. Like, no, that, they're not going to allow it. Like that's the line in the sand. And that bothers me almost a little bit more than, than not having the line in the moment. A lot was made of it online, so I figured we would we would address it. But that was my yeah. thoughts. I, I, I mean, I think you might. You may have even just convinced me. I'm, I'm sometimes I'm easy to convince. Um, I, I realized I kind of want a T-shirt that says "Fuck the Empire." Like, yeah, so, I do too. <laughs> and I think it was. I, th- I think if any character is ever going to say that, wouldn't it be Marva at her? Fu- that, it was just a perfect moment. I mean, but I think they let it go. She has very few fucks to give, and she's dead. Um, I, maybe, maybe you are right because he, here's here's something that I occasionally like to remember is that there are a lot of Star Wars fans who liked the Empire, um, and I don't understand that. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. That's so weird to me. But it's true, and and maybe that would have hit just a little differently um, in, in in setting a tone there. It would have conveyed hate and distaste and anger right. as in a that, way that like fight the empire does not. Yeah, that that it, this is not a you know, uh, you know um, I'm sh- trying to think of a you know a fights B story that doesn't have a clear good guy, but uh, they're all kind of loaded by this point. Yeah, it, it's not just two teams and you pick a team and it's fun. Or even, you know, it's it's a war of two things and we're jumping in and getting some good stories out of it. It's that one is bad and you're supposed to think they're bad and yep. they literally are bad. And are there good people in it? Well, we're clearly going into that. How There's nuance in the individuals, but the movement is bad and you should do whatever it takes, including, you know, rooting against those good people as necessary because it's bad and you can say it and you can say it in as strong of terms as you have available to you at every opportunity. And maybe yeah, I just think Disney's really limiting itself. Um, I hate, I just hate that they, they draw these arbitrary lines because if you're going to allow programming that's more mature and mature in this, in the way that you, you use the word, you have to, you have to give them creative license. I don't, I don't like these arbitrary lines in the same. They, they, they annoy me. Put, put up whatever fucking thing you need to at the beginning of the episode. This is adult M for mature, whatever the fuck you need to do. But let them write the show. Uh, apparently, to get um, uh, Hamilton the musical on Disney or something, he had to. He he had to like they 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 did let him have like the word fucking there like once or something, but he had to cut two of them. So he said, "I I literally I, I literally gave two fucks to be, get it on Disney because <laughs> like, he had to cut it's, two." Of them. That's that, that is that is so. They are missing the mark in their long term strategic planning and programming, in my mind. Um, but anyway, so during all this uh, fighting and rioting and confusion, Cassian rescues Bix. Guess what? Bix is not okay. She doesn't take the headset off and start running down the hallway. Cassian has to literally guide her. She's been tortured. She's emotionally impacted. I I don't like that she is, but I like that they portray torture this way. Mm-hmm. It's it's bad, and we should see that it's bad. And it's not just you shrug it off. And it's not that she's unhappy and you're better. She's not better when she leaves the room. She's a, a little bit better. She is a little bit better, which I think goes in with how things are. You're, you've actually 
part of you understands that you are in a safer place or that you're escaped or you're not in the place that's literally re-triggering you every time you're looking around the room. But she's still not better. Um, when they're on the ship escaping, she's still not better. Like, she's never going to be all the way better. Um, nope. And that, that, um, that was well done also. You know, her, her saying, like, they'll be mad. Like, that was the fastest way that they could show she is broken. Like, yep. she, she is – she would turn him in in the right circumstances right now because she is broken by them and, and not able to do things that she wants to do anymore because fear and pain and punishment and torture – has rewired part of what she can do. Um, is and I hope that they show her. Power. I hope that they show her come back, but not all the way, right? Because that's how it happens, right? You, you, she will progress, and she'll get somewhat better, but she'll never be the same Bix again. I hope that's what they show in season two. Yeah, it's it, some amount of PTSD or something, but right. it, it is realistic, and you know, showing how bad it is, you know, to talk. A lot, of, a lot of these shows actually do get to show you all those little things. Like I, it, Obi-Wan shows you better um, how bad blowing up Andor was. No, like this is a real planet with history and trees and people and stuff. Alderaan, you mean? What did I say? Uh, Andor. Oh, <laughs> you still think okay. Andor is a planet. <laughs> that, well, they, they blew up both, actually. So let's be honest. Um, yeah, Andor did get blown up. That's true. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um Mandalorian even had, you know, oh, why are we scared of the AT, AT, AT walkers or ATSTs, just the two legged walkers? Why are they scary? Then it shows you standing under one. And it's like, oh my goodness. Like, I, these shows are doing so much good work of ground level, making the movies better because they're showing why people would have been reacting in all these different ways. I, I, I love it. I love how they're just building out all that uh, and, and doing it more and faster here than anywhere else. Yeah. I very well said. I agree. And I think that that is my likely one of the strongest arguments for the canon that they're adding to the television shows. Right. Because there are people who like, don't like that they're doing the shows. They think that they're flawed in some way or whatever, but like the best argument for all of them as a collective, I think is what you just said, which is that we're fleshing out things that the movies just didn't have time to do that are really important to give you context for the story. So, um, then we get the, the universe's greatest love story. Cyril saves Miro from being attacked. And um, we were all hoping for the kiss. We were all rooting for it. It didn't happen. I, one thing that I do want to point out about the Deidre character is, or Deidre Miro character is that like a lot of people, I think because there is a tendency by some people, myself included, when there is a woman in an all male organization or society trying to make their way, there's a tendency to root for that. I yeah. do. Um, but she she's very clear in every interview she gives, and the producers are too. Deidre Miro is not good. She's not a good person. You shouldn't root for her, and she will disappoint you if you do. Um, and they don't they don't hide that. They don't. They, that's not a reveal for later. She's not a good person. Yeah. I I, I and I read something, and I think it was from them where. They set that up on purpose in the first few episodes, at least, where you didn't see that. You know, like, you didn't know – you didn't have a reason to think she was good, but you didn't see that she was bad yet. So all you knew was, you know, if you if you like equality and you think the idea of, you know, her fighting back is good, great. If you don't care about that but just like the underdog, well, clearly this is a room of nobody else looks like her. She, and some of them are shitting on her for no reason. She's the underdog. People like rooting for underdogs. 
or if you think it's just interesting, the idea of, you know, why is the Empire so, you know, such a boys club? Like, let's see what happens when somebody rises up. You have a lot. Anybody would be at least sort of rooting for her in the beginning. And you're right. Just they very not even subtly, not even necessarily slowly. Um, it, I guess it's a slow reveal, but it's just you get to see her more and she's just consistently bad. She sucks. She, what? by the way, if she, all the pain you see Bix going through, what we just talked about, Deidre does that to her. Yep. Like, Deidre's the one pulling the trigger on that. So, like, she's awful. And, and she, you know, she, and she made it worse when she could. She's like, no, I wanted to see the guy beforehand. Oh, no, now I'm going to get her out and pretend like I didn't want him in here. But, no, I've wanted yep. to Yeah, yep. uh, little stuff, little I, stuff. I, I did love when she said, like, would you believe me? And the answer I give right now is like, no, nah, I guess not. We're just going to torture you. It was like, and it's like, fair enough. Like they're they doing a normal interview because that's what they normally would do. And I, I don't know how it wouldn't it, matter. I, I don't, I don't think that was either like being mean or on purpose. I don't think that was going to change the outcome at all. I think that might've just been habit that we didn't used to have this technology. So she's like, well, we have to do the interrogation. And then afterwards we do the torture. And, um, but no, I, I wouldn't have believed yes or no. I wouldn't have believed anything she said. Uh, until, you know, it's corroborated later. It's just, I was curious. I think, I think it was curiosity and habit that she even had a conversation first. So there may, there may end up, uh, Dietra may give into this sort of romantic advancements from CRL at some point, but they're not good people. They're not worth reading for. So meeting, um, then we see the B2. Serial, serial, (laughs) I'm not convinced Serial is a bad guy, actually. Um, he is, um, doing bad things, maybe for good reasons. Like, he's still kind of on, maybe it's revenge, maybe it's justice, maybe it's just myopic. I'm not convinced if he's a good guy or a bad guy or just kind of confused and doing stuff for no real reason. I think it gets back to what you were saying before, which is that you root against, we're supposed to root against the Empire. He works for the Empire. He supports the Empire. He might not be personally on a level like walking around doing evil things, but he's He's supporting a thing you root against, and we're not supposed to root for him. We're not supposed to root for Deidre. I don't. I think if you you, you are rooting for either one of those characters, season two is going to disappoint the shit out of you because I think they're both yeah. going to do bad things. So I I could easily see him helping the rebels or turning against the Empire or something. That would shock me. That would shock me. Well, because what is his driving force? His one of his driving forces is Law and Order, which is kind of very empirey, um, but it's also you know, justice. His whole thing is. Two of my coworkers were murdered, and they deserve justice. And nobody's giving them justice, so I'll do it. He's he's a vigilante sort of. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's generous. It's a charitable read. I, I I also think he's in for personal ambition, which the Empire gives you more obviously than than the Rebel. I would be shocked if that if they go that way with that character. I, I would like to be shocked. That's 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 fun stuff, but I, yeah. I don't I don't anticipate that personally. But, even if they hadn't said anything, I would. I would not buy Deidre uh, being, you know, uh, saved by her own actions. Uh, no, even, she they, even if they hadn't said that, she she is a bad one. Um, though, then again, uh, I would have said that about Darth Vader when Episode Five came out that he could not be redeemed, and you know, then he gets to be a ghost. Yeah, it's it's very very Tolkien esque. It's the everybody can be redeemed thing, but I, I'm not sure we're going to get that with that character. They certainly are are very vocal that you're you're not going to. So then we see the B2's okay. He's okay. He's with Rosso and several others in shipyard. Yes. I was Cassian, very worried. I, I was. Very, I was too. I thought they were just because it would. How easy would it have been for them to shoot the droid? Very yeah. easy, but they did not. Um, Cassian convinces them to take Bix away away from Terra somewhere safe so she can start to recoup. Um, 
Luthan returns to the ship where Cassian is waiting, and it seems like to me, tell me if you're, you, you, you have a different read, because you've, you've brought me along on a lot of points here. It seemed like Cassian might have been a little bit of a step ahead of Luthan here. I'm not sure Luthan expected him on a ship, and I'm not sure Luthan expected Cassian to know that Luthan was going, trying to kill him. I think you're right on both counts. Well, because here's the thing. L- Luthan, did Luthan even see Andor? No, not until he's on a ship. Yeah, so... You know, he, he knew he was going to be there probably. And maybe he knew that he even was there. Maybe he knew that some of this had to do with him, but he didn't. And he didn't know that Andor saw Luther. Like, mm-hmm. there was no reason for him to think that Andor knew he was there even. Though, I, I mean, his his hiding was very poor. He was just out in the open with like without even a hat on or something. He was not very good at hiding. But um, but he does seem to be a step ahead of Luther here. And I, I think that's important for us to establish because – Cassian basically gives Luthen the choice. He's like, either kill me or take me into this this thing that you're doing. And Luthen yeah. smiles, and I think obviously Luthen takes him in because Cassian goes on to live and goes to Rook One. So the fact that Cassian was, if if we agree on that, that he was kind of yeah. a step ahead of Luthen here in this situation might explain why Luthen goes. You know what? I think this guy's worth taking on for the long term here. I, so tell me your thoughts on this. How much do you think? Um, and or does this from self-preservation and no other choices versus actually being, you know, radicalized by now and wanting to. The reason I ask That's, that. Yeah, go ahead. Well, when, when he is there in the town and he's looking around and he's realizing, oh, my goodness, the Empire wants to capture and or kill me. The Rebellion wants to capture and or kill me. They both tracked me here. I have zero choices. I'm just going to be chased and captured and killed for the rest of my life, no matter where I go. Or I join one of them. Kind of the idea that, that he, he, if he didn't do this, what would happen next? Who would still be out there trying to kill him? So he, he I still, think would be he, to kill I think he still has money, right? Mm-hmm. He's still got money. He does. And I, I think that's why the whole prison thing was so important this season is okay. that to show why his decision-making, why, even though Luthen was trying to kill him, he, he still he still makes the decision. I want to go in with the rebels, as opposed to get on a ship. Nobody ever sees me again. Like he he still kind of has that option in the abstract to just go fall, go be a nameless person somewhere on some outer rim planet with the money he has in his pocket. He could conceivably do that, or at least try to do that. But instead, that whole experience with the prison and that understanding, like Kino Kino ostensibly died for this, right? Like that they have a prison of people who are unjustly. Um, uh, incarcerated and that they will never get out because they just need slave labor. I think that part is so important to explain his backstory and why he's willing to just fall into the, the rebellion. That's my opinion. I, I think you might be right. I, I'm, I'm just trying to think pretending. I think you're right that he could have at least tried to disappear, but honestly, if the empire and the rebellion both were out to get me, um, if he didn't want to join him still showing up, with the gun saying, look, kill me or don't. But I, there's still planets that are – there's still planets that the Empire does not run in the Outer Rim. Like that the hut that the huts run, that other I – mean, we know this. Like even by the time of Episode Six, there's still planets out in the Outer Rim that the Empire really doesn't fuck with. So he could have found somewhere to get away, I think. He is just – he hates the fucking Empire. Like he yeah. – <laughs> we, we've radicalized the guy through Season yeah. 1. And I think Season 2, we're going to see the build for that. I, it is very funny because, you know, I, when the ship took off, I was watching with my wife, she was very worried and and thought that the, the ship, 
might blow up. Not the one that Andor's on. Andor sends them off to be safe, and then he goes. If that ship blew up, that would be any any wonder if he's radicalized or not. Like, okay, we can just also. I was out. worried about that too when I, I saw it flying away. I was like, oh my god, they're going to shoot that thing down. Well, and, and my brain said it can't happen. B is on there, and they won't blow up B. And then I thought, but wait, they literally. It, They'd never killed the beloved droid. No, wait. In the in Solo and in Rogue One, they killed the beloved droid. Like they will kill beloved droids. Every one of these characters dies. Like that's the thing, pretty much. Like they're all dead. I I trying to think of who has plot armor, and there are a few people who have plot armor, and or because he has to be in the movie, Mon Martha. I think B has plot armor because B is wonderful, and they don't hate me that much. If they hate me enough to kill B and like give me that bad of a day, I would have been really, I thought he was going to die. He died in this episode. I thought they were going to shoot him when he was doing the, doing the Marva. No, no. Instead, they ineffectually put a coat on. (laughs) It was so funny. That was ridiculous. And he did a bad job. So you can still see part of it. And just another, that guy making the worst decisions. If you just said, look, no speeches. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, we've got you here for our trap. We're not going to tell you that, but we we don't need you to have speeches. No speeches. You know, uh, kill, kill the droid now. Turn it off. I think the speech was a surprise to them, and they they, they yeah. were on the back well, foot when it when it well, started. If, if they interrupted it at the beginning, it maybe wouldn't have turned into a riot. If they let it just happen, then it probably wouldn't have turned into a riot. Like these were people here at a funeral, and they were you know a show of force. Um, Mar- but Marva knew what she was doing. I mean, she knew when she recorded "Fight the Empire" that all hell's going to. I think that she knew well, that, that would be a trigger. You you might be right, but I think that there is a legitimate chance that if they just let it play out, the funeral would have just ended and people would have left, or most or some of them would have left. More of them would have left. If you had cut off at the beginning, you know they would have. Not like that you cut it off, but you would have stopped her saying all that. He picked the worst possible moment to try to stop it as it's over. As it's over, but you're still showing that you're not letting it happen is the absolute worst thing he could have done. It's just that guy being an idiot. Oh, and I, I was disappointed in one thing, and it's fine. I'm, I'm not, like, mad about it. I really hoped that one guy who, you know, was initially owed money by Andor and who was, like, snitching to the Empire about where he was and everything. I kind of wanted him to be a double agent. I kind of wanted him, because he was doing a lot of, like, soul-searching looks. I wanted him to give them bad advice. And the soul-searching was that he's pointing them in the wrong direction to help help Andor or get people out, you know, not involved in the fight or something. And he's worried that he's going to get caught and that he'll be killed for just distracting them, basically, and wasting their time and sending them the wrong way. Um, and it's not, and then he gets his, you know, just deserves that he, 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 he tries to live with the Empire and then dies with the Empire. Um, but I kind of wanted him to be a double agent. That was going to be more interesting to me. Mm. Would, would an interesting place to take that. <clears throat> okay, I think that, uh, wraps up our, yeah, PCAP. We do have the post credit scene, which we talked about, which was the, uh, what Jimmy has explained to me is the machinery produced by the Narcana five prisoners, um, working on the I, Death Star. And I was, the, worked on the Death Star. I was disappointed by that because I don't think it matters. Like you said, it doesn't matter what they were building. They were, they were doing some work for the Empire. It really doesn't matter. It's not significantly poignant to me that it is the Death Star. It's, uh, <laughs> it's if, fine if, for me. If it were I, I know what they're doing. They're trying to make it emotionally heavy. Yeah, I, I, that was a complete miss for me. And they hadn't had after credits. So I barely think that that would have been worth it in the show, like the 10 seconds. I barely think it would have been worth 10 seconds of show to show that. And they didn't just do that. They made the only after credit. So they made this super special 
thing for you to pay attention to and sit through, and it fell completely flat. That's the only, like, ten seconds I actually hated in the show. Okay. It was fun, but it was not worth the investment on the production or on the audience to get that um, at all, I think. Hmm. Okay, so uh, that concludes our review of the episodes. Do you have any concluding thoughts about this season, what we saw, Andor, and how it sort of fits in, not on the timeline, <laughs> or you could talk about <laughs> it, but just sort of in quality with, with some of the other Star Wars stuff we've seen recently? So it's it's excellent. It's excellent quality. Um, and actually, it's interesting. When you say in quality, I, I maybe think it's higher quality than Obi-Wan and Mandalorian, maybe. I like those more because I like the story that they're telling. It's more fun. Um, I enjoyed it more, you know, they, partially because it was newer, you know, because of how it tied in in ways I like more. This maybe had just, you know, better acting, better writing, better set design, better story to tell. This might have been, I, I think I'll say I still rank it third subjectively, but if it makes sense to say objectively, I think maybe it's number one on the TV shows for, in my, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's so. the best TV show they've done. Yeah. I, and I, I don't like, that is not me trying to say that Mandalorian's bad or anything. Mandalorian's awesome. I love Mandalorian. I cannot wait. Come back March 1st. I'm super excited for it. But this is just, to me, deeper, richer, explains the world more. There's more to it. And I think Disney believes that too, because this is the first one that they're actually putting out there on the networks, right? They, Andor is going to be shown on USA Network. It's on Hulu available. They want a broader audience for it because they have that much faith that the story can connect. I, I love the story that they're diving into, which is basically how do you create a rebellion? How do you radicalize people against an oppressive authoritarian dictatorship? I, and I'm super excited for season two. I thought it was extremely well done. It's my favorite television show they've done. So I, I like, I mean, so Mandalorian, I like the characters. I like the genre, I like the Western or. Yeah, it's awesome. It. So good. But the real mark on whether a sequel or a, subsequent or a TV show that goes along, you know, an ancillary, a prequel, any of that. One of the best ways I've ever heard to judge it, does it make the, the a better? Yeah. Like I said, Obi-Wan, the TV show Obi-Wan for me made the prequels better. It made right. all. And it did. Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like this makes the movies better. I really feel like it does flesh things out and make it all better. The other way is how good is it standalone? And I, I hadn't thought about this until so you said it. Imagine that this is the first Star Wars media somebody ever watches. Could you do that? And the answer, I mean, that would be weird. Absolutely not, what you could. You uh, 100% could. You absolutely could. And, you know, you'd be thrown in. But, I mean, honestly, in Episode 4, you're kind of thrown in. Oh, it's the Empire. And you, you know, it's, they ease you into it with a scroll. But is a guy on a planet – there's, you know, some crime. There's, oh, uh, there's an empire that exists, and they're the government. And the harder they care about you, the more they have a hammer they bring down. And they're, then they have infinite hammers, and you just either have to fight them or hope that they don't pay attention. Um, I'm fascinated now by this new thought you've given me. Of they put it on 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 the networks, and this is the first of any Star Wars media somebody watches. Not even just the first TV show, but the first Star Wars media. I I, I kind of doubt that will happen to anyone on Earth. I think people will have watched a movie first. It might be there might be some uh, people who 
tangentially know the story. Like like my friend Levi, like he he's on the Manga Pucks podcast network sometime, and he has never watched a Star Wars movie, but he kind of through the culture he sort yeah. of knows the gist of it, but he's never actually sat down and watched one. He'd be a great target audience for sitting down and watching Rogue One because okay. he'd like Rogue One probably. Can can you can you get him to watch Andor? Oh, that's what I meant, Andor. I, I'm sorry, okay. I said Rogue One. But I, I meant, like he'd be a great I, person to sit down and watch Andor. I w- do we just have our new podcast? Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, if we can convince him to do it, I think he'd, I think he'd like it. I think and I think there's a, a, an audience for it. And I just I think it shows Disney's faith in the storytelling. Um, yeah. The thing, the only thing that's disappointing to me about it is that because of the way they did the Rogue One movie, it can only be two seasons. Like they, they've already mapped it out, it's only going to be two seasons. There's no chance for season three. It's yeah. going to be two seasons. That's it. They've said at the end of season two. Um, Andor is going to show up on um, Jetta, and that's it. So there we go. Yeah. Alpha, off into the movie. I, I'm not even disappointed in that. Or, or rather, I have mixed feelings about that, but I'm mostly positive about that. There is something really good about planning the ending of a show, about having it not go until you run out of good things to say or go until it's bad or go until somebody cuts it off early, but actually from the beginning know where you're going. Yeah, which House of the Dragon benefits from too, right? Because that story's been told, and they know they're only going to do four seasons, and this is only going to be two seasons. So yeah, I mean, I I agree. The story will be tighter and better because of it. I just like it, so I want more of it. Like it's natural to refuse. Yeah, and that's that's fair enough. Like as of right now, we can't imagine what if they were going to make another show like Andor, what the the plot line would be, because we don't have anything else to like hang a hat on right now that we're aware of. Maybe more will come out between now and then, or somebody make up something new. But I, I, I do hear you on that because if this is the best TV show, then I want I want more than just two seasons of the best. I want something else that's equally good and similar. Yeah, um, and maybe maybe they'll do that. Maybe they'll they'll dive into something else um, that that has the same sort of tone, right? But anyway, uh, I, I gotta say I'm, I'm super impressed by Andor. But if you, if it's not for you, if you're more of like I like the legacy characters, not you specifically, I'm talking to the audience. If you like the legacy characters, you like the lightsaber fights, you like the force, you like the Jedi. That's cool, man. I'm not I'm not knocking you for that. For me, I just happen to really like this. So I, I saw one thing, and I, I think it was tongue in cheek, but it, it gave me pause. And it, it was a joke online, but somebody was saying, you know, everybody's saying Andor shook up irreverently the Star Wars model, and it's great. Episode 8 irreverently stuck up the Star Wars model, and it ruined Star Wars for me. Just the idea, I mean, they're, they're very different. I'm not sure whether there's anything really deep to get there, but it seems like almost the same thing as, as a compliment in the one case is used by people as an insult in the other. Do, do you think there's anything to that or not really? Well, so establishing a different tone, going in a different direction, quote, shaking up, can be good and can be bad. If it works, then it's good. And if it doesn't work for you, then you're going to say, well, damn it, why'd you, why'd you go off script? Like, that's the risk of it, right? Now, episode eight worked for me. That was my favorite of the prequels. I liked it. I liked that they went a different way. I liked that they took risk with Luke's character and the storytelling was felt appreciably different. I was all for it. Shout out. I liked episode eight a lot. But I think that what people are saying who make that, that argument is, Yes, they, they went for a different tone. They, quote, shook up the story, and I that didn't work for me. Therefore, I'm not as pleased with the risk as, as this. That's, that's kind of how I square the two. Yeah. 
new things are good when they are good new things. New things are bad when they are bad new things. Uh, you got it. It's, it's right. as that simple as that. Um, but anyway, yeah. yeah. I, I appreciate that. We, we help each other like that. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, any any other thoughts here on Andor as we conclude? I had to watch more Star Wars. Um, one of these days I'll find out what Bad Batch is and why Clone Wars is the thing I should care about one of these days. So uh, on if you're thinking about just the Star Wars schedule, we've got Bad Batch 2 that's coming out, I think, this week or next week. And then we've got Mandalorian Season 3 on March 1st. And then immediately after that, we have Ahsoka. And then I think some sometime after that, we will get um, Tales of the Jedi Season 2. And then we'll get Andor Season 2. So that's, I think, the tentative release schedule there. No movies on the horizon, just a bunch of good Star Wars television. All right. Thanks for doing this with me, Jamie. I enjoyed it. Thanks. Uh, always, always a pleasure to have you on the Mango Talks Podcast Network. If you enjoy this podcast, if you like listening to us gab about this type of stuff, just go to your favorite podcast platform, type in Mangum Talks. That's the keyword. All of our podcasts will pop up. Spencer and I just wrapped up a episode by episode review of season two of HBO's White Lotus, which is on a podcast feed called Enjoy Your Stay, an unofficial White Lotus podcast review. Uh, that's, that was a ton of fun, as you would imagine, with White Lotus. It's just a silly, satirical, farcical show, and Spencer and I had a blast going through it, so go check those episodes out. Other than that, I think the next thing on our horizon is Spencer and I are going to be reviewing episode by episode, um, The Last of Us, which is an HBO show that's coming out in mid-January, and then after that, we'll, we'll go right into our Mandalorian coverage, which hopefully Jamie can join us for some of the Mandalorian coverage. So thanks everybody for listening. We'll see you next time.